Whenever you announce on social media that you have a Toronto Maple Leafs guest coming up on your podcast, Elliot, right away you get flooded with messages of, I'm not going to listen, this is just going to be about the Leafs. So for those people who tweeted me and tweeted you, the opening of the podcast is for you. Thoughts on all 30 NHL teams other than the Toronto Maple Leafs. You ready, Elliot? First of all, though, I want to recognize Emil sent out a picture of us getting ready on this show. Yes. And there was one tweeter, at Paul Ryan Paul, is Jeff wearing an Iowa Chops shirt? Yes, I am. And the answer is yes, he is. Great call. In my ultimate quest to become the ultimate hockey hipster, I'm now wearing T-shirts of defunct, not NHL teams. Anyone can wear the Seals. Anyone can wear the Barons. Anyone can wear the North Stars. I'm talking defunct AHL teams. <laughs> As the AHL That's meetings deep, are going man. on in Hilton That's Head deep. right now. Okay, here we go. 30 teams where they're at with Elliot Friedman of 31 Thoughts. Cal Dubas, still to come, GM, Toronto Maple Leafs. Anaheim Ducks, they bring in Luke Shen, Brian Gibbons, Carter Rowney. Yeah, it's going to be a, a mostly quiet summer for them, I think. They're going to work on an extension for uh, their goalie, who had a hell of a year last year, John Gibson. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's one of the big questions they've got. They've got to look at extensions for Adam Henrique. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to take care of eternal business. Now, the other thing I think for Anaheim is, is Ryan Kessler going to play? And um, <laughs> Bob Murray, he had a great quote to uh, Eric Stevens of The Athletic. He's like, oh, that's just Elliot throwing spaghetti at the wall <laughs> and seeing what sticks. And Bob Murray is uh, a treat. I, I, a treat. I, I really like Bob Murray. Yeah. When you can pin him down, he doesn't like to talk very much, but he's pretty blunt. And I laughed when I saw that quote. But here's the story with Kessler. He is working this summer to play. He wants to play. But the question is, they just don't know if he'll, he's going to be able to. Mm-hmm. He was really beat up last year. And I do believe that there are people saying it is a good idea if you sit out next season. Or at least as much of it as you can to get healthy. Still got a few more years under contract. I think the other big question about Anaheim is, how are they going to change the way they play? Bob Murray has said, the way we play doesn't work anymore. And we have to change the style. So I think those are the big questions for Anaheim. Do you as have the personnel to, to change that style becomes one of the questions as well. Now, there's going to be some of those defensemen that graduate from San Diego to the Anaheim Ducks. And we know that. And Marty Wilford's already up there on the bench. And he did great work with that blue line. But there are only so many Andre Cashes. And there are only so many Ricard Raquels. And there are still plenty there's of still Brian Getzlaff. Yeah. And, and there's still plenty of Corey Perry's on that. You're team. going to have to deal with some fullbacks like Getzlaff is and like Perry is. But they got a lot of skill there. Like Anaheim, they develop good players. They find good players. They draft well. They develop well. Yeah. Their drafting's been I, I think they're going to be able to find a way to do it. Arizona Coyotes, uh, welcome in. Michael Grabner, welcome back. Brad Richardson, where do you see... Them. Well, I think they've had a huge summer. They got Oliver Ekman Larson to commit. They got Jalmerson on a two-year extension. That's really good. Jalmerson could have easily gotten more than two years next year if he goes out on the market. So I think they've had a bit of a win. Alex Galchenyuk? It'll be an interesting one. Like Rick Tockett, I don't have time for negativity. As I've gotten older, I'm a big, okay, what's the positive outcome? How do you empower people to succeed? Rick Tockett is a guy who empowers people. He empowered Phil Kessel. He found a way to make that work. I am curious to see what he will do with Galchenyuk. I'm not convinced he's a center, but that doesn't mean that we'll guy find can't out. score. I don't think he's going to be false started as many times as he was in Montreal, the center position. No. Or placed with someone like Lars Eller, where, you remember in Montreal, he would play on the same line as Lars Eller as a center, but when it was an important draw, usually in Montreal zone, Eller was taking the draw and Galchenyuk goes out and you're saying to yourself, 
Is this really helping Galchenyuk at all? I just think that he's in a situation now where talking is going to work to empower him. And also, there was a time I remember when Claude Julien got hired, Julien told us he had a meeting with uh, Galchenyuk a morning before a game. And I went up to Galchenyuk and I said, hey, just anything in particular that you thought was beneficial, he told you. And I didn't really know Galchenyuk that well. And he kind of looked at me fine and he said, well, what do you want me to tell you? And I didn't take that personally or anything like that. But what it said to me was that this is a guy who was beaten down. Mm -hmm. There was too much noise and he needs quiet. Sometimes guys go from the hot market to the quiet market and it benefits them. I think Galchenyuk is going to be one of those guys. Boston Bruins, uh, welcome in Yaroslav Halak. Welcome in John Moore, resigned Sean Corrali as well. And Tom Bleed as well gets resigned. I like the Bruins a lot. I think they're uh, a team that is on the upswing. You know, they've got extra defensemen now. Would they move a defenseman for someone else? they got a lot of prospects. Are you surprised at the John Moore deal? I was surprised at the term. Right. I was surprised at the term, but that says to me that they gave him more years to bring down the money. Like, I think John Moore is a pretty good player, but the term is is what surprised me. I just wonder, like, you know, Tory Krug is two years away from a big payday. I believe when you have a guy as talented as Tory Krug is, you keep him as long as you can. And Chara, at some point, you think he's going to retire. I wonder, their blue line is strength in terms of prospects and veteran players. Sure. I wonder if they would move to add, but... I like Boston's youth. I think they're a growing team. Hudobin out, Halak in. I think that's fine. I just got the impression they really didn't like Hudobin last year. It just didn't work. Beginning of the season, you held the whole thing up. Yes, but towards the end, I just never got a sense they were that comfortable. Buffalo Sabres, speaking of netminders, Carter Hutton, Scott Wedgwood come in as, I suppose, numbers two and three. One and three. So you're going to put Carter Hutton yes. over Lena Solmark? See, I'll tell you a couple things about what I think is going on here. First of all, I love it when underdogs get big contracts to me carter hutton getting a three-year deal at just under three million at his age great for him like jay beagle i know people in vancouver aren't happy with the term but jay beagle at 32 years old to get four years at three million like a total underdog i'm happy for the guy i think buffalo wanted to get wingers they were in on van reamsdyke they didn't get him they've been in on patcheretti i'm not sure he wants to go there that's the one thing they haven't got they don't want to hand all mark the number one job they feel... I don't think they have, in their mind they have a legit number one guy. I think, well, I think Allmark is going to end up splitting it with Hutton. Yes, but that's why I think they're going to tell Hutton that he's the number one guy coming in. And I think they're going to tell Allmark that Hutton's the number one guy going in. Yeah. Because I think they're going to want Allmark to feel that he has to win the job. Like One of the things the hmm. Sabres are trying to do is, is to convince players that you're not getting handed anything. You're going to have to earn something. So I think they're going to say to Olmark, if you want to be considered the number one goalie, you got to steal it from Carter Hutton. And also, you don't hand a guy three years, three million to be your backup in this situation. I think the other thing is, I heard last year, Olmark, they weren't thrilled with his offseason. So they're going to want to see, does he come to camp better prepared this year, number one? And number two, are you going to be prepared to battle for the job? And I think the other thing, too, is, is Allmark's going to see Wedgwood, and he's going to know if he doesn't do the job, there's somebody who can take his backup job. All right, Calgary. Hello, James Neal, and your five-year contract with the Calgary Flames. Derek Ryan as well comes in on a three-year deal. And we Austin, about Austin Zarnick. Don't count out Austin Zarnick. I heard there was a ton of interest in him. Okay. I heard Edmonton was really interested in Zarnick, and Calgary got him. Two years, 1.25, and to me... Boston, they have so many good young players that yeah. Zarnick kind of got squeezed out. But 
Austin Zarnick is the league reacting to look at all these guys who did a great job in Vegas last year. Austin Zarnick, the reason he had 20-something teams looking at him is because all these teams looked at guys who didn't get a role in their previous team and they succeeded in Vegas. And he's the gamble. Like, you know, he is the gamble for Calgary. And the other thing I think, too, it's really interesting is Calgary, I heard, they went to go visit him. So Brad Tree Living was at the draft in Dallas, and he flew from Dallas to, uh, I think, Detroit area where Zarnick was, and he showed up there. And I think that it's like a little thing, but yeah. it's a big thing. And I think the player was really impressed by that. Calgary's biggest problems last year were their bottom six. They're yes. better with Zarnick. They're better with Ryan. The James Neal thing is interesting. I don't think initially that was Neal's first choice. I think Calgary came pretty late in the process. I think the Flames really wavered on the fifth year, I, I think. But this is going to be a good deal for Calgary in three years. They're going to look at him in the first three years, and they're going to say, this guy did a lot of great things for our team. James Neal's a heck of a player. I could live without the diving, but he's a hell of a player. That release is ridiculous. And you know what? I think, you know, Calgary used to be a building where you came into, Jeff, and you thought you were going to get killed. Whether it was the 80s and it was Tim Hunter and all oh, those yeah, guys. And, even, and all of them, yeah. Or Theo Fleury or Chris Simon when they went to the Stanley Cup in 2004. Everybody was scared Andy of McCarthy, Chris Simon. Andy yeah. McCarthy, terrified, yeah. They need a bit of a prick in there. Well, the feeling He'll around be perfect the, the feeling around Calgary towards you know the the last half of the season and Kachuk gets injured, they go on that extended losing streak, and the feeling around the Calgary Flames was when they lost, they lost too easy. That it was greeted with a shrug. This isn't all the players on the team, and I'll exclude Matthew Kachuk from it because I think if anyone had a burr uh, when they lost, it was Matthew Kachuk. But it, the general feeling was. Man, when Calgary loses, they kind of greet it with a shrug and they move on. They get on the bus and they go back to the hotel and then that's it. And they wanted to get nastier, to your point. And they wanted to get tougher. And mm-hmm. they wanted to have more players on their roster that were tougher to play against, that were nastier to play against. And mm-hmm. now we put a premium on James Neal. Oh, look at the goals he scored. Look at the release. He's nasty to He's play against. He's a nasty. And you know what? He's awful like, to play against. Even though there's no fighting anymore and there's less hitting than there used to be, there's still the playoffs prove that you can be nice off the ice, but you can't be nice on it. Like this is still a hard game. Mm-hmm. It's still a very tough game. It's a will game. And you need that. You know, I think also too, we haven't even mentioned the Carolina trade. We're getting there. The one thing I, I do think about Calgary is the guys sit with this lineup for a while. They've churned the last two years. Now you have to let it grow. Surprise the Hamilton deal? No. No, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. I wrote in 31 Thoughts, the blog last week, that I know his personality has come up, the museum stuff. I don't think the museum stuff was the issue here. I don't think that Dougie Hamilton asked for a trade, but I do think it was kind of known that it was time. And the Freddie thing was definitely an issue. After Freddie got waived, and I wrote traded last week, but it was waived, Mm -hmm. his attitude changed, and that bothered some of his teammates. And the whole Freddie thing, it's not easy for everyone to deal with. And at some point, he is going to have to understand that they're not always going to be together. But I don't think the museum stuff was an issue. I think that the Freddie thing was definitely an issue. And I think that also internally, 
you know, he didn't play on the power play for most of the first half of last year. Brody did. And I think that was an issue, too. So I just think that I was headed to divorce Mm -hmm. and the two sides were proactive and said, you'd rather do it too early than too late. Uh, Speaking of um, Dougie Hamilton now on the Carolina Hurricanes, let's get there now. And their top four looks like Slavin, Pesci, DeHaan and Hamilton. Noticing that I left out Justin Falk, should I? Well, yes, you should. I I think he's going to get traded. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, I think they're going to sign a deal. At the draft, I heard that Caroline and Trevor Van Riemsdyk were potentially going to arbitration. I was like, what? Like, you know, how can that happen? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Lindholm negotiation at the end between the Hurricanes and his agent, it didn't go well. That was one of the reasons he got traded. And I heard that there was a a battle between – and then I asked someone, I said, is is this true? And they said, if you heard the amount of money that they were apart on each other, like you wouldn't believe it. So I'm glad that, you know, cooler heads prevailing, I think, in Carolina to get a deal done because, you know, he's Trevor Van Riemsdyk's a good death player. The one thing I really think, it, when, I, when I heard DeHaan, I was like, why another shot that way? And one of the things I asked around I heard is it's a smart move in the sense that now you can trade Falk and you don't need a D that shoots on the other side. Mm-hmm. Now you're full and you can go anywhere you want. Like, you know, do you want to go in goal? You can go in goal. Do you want to add somewhere up front? You can add somewhere up front. By adding DeHaan, you could subtract Falk and you can fill a different need than just replacing him. I understand it. Like, I think that's pretty smart. It's insurance. Now, I had heard that Detroit had been in on Falk, and I don't think that's gone away. I'd heard Chicago had been in on Falk. But I, I heard the hang-up there was Brandon Saad, that Carolina wanted Saad and, right. and Chicago didn't want to do that. So I think that's kind of where we are. And Skinner, the, it's still hanging over everybody, too. Final thing on, uh, on DeHaan as well. Carolina wasn't the only team in on DeHaan. New no. Jersey was in on DeHaan. Other teams are in on DeHaan I think Montreal well. was there for a while. Wouldn't surprise me. Would imagine Toronto yeah, would be I, in on DeHaan probably? So. I got to think so. Okay, so from the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, we head now to the Chicago Blackhawks. Cam Ward, one-year deal. Chris Kunitz, one-year deal. Brandon Manning, defenseman, comes in as well. What is Chicago doing? I think it's a bit of placeholding until they figure out exactly what the long-term thing is they want to do. Like, if you take a look at their contracts, you know, they've got a a lot of big guys with term, and so you have to be judicious and smart what you do around them. I do think that at some point in time they will trade the HOSA contract. I think you've got to find a willing partner, but I I do think that's going to happen. Now, I've heard that the league hasn't been thrilled with that idea. And I don't know if they said don't do it, but I think they've kind of said, you know, we'd really prefer if you kind of makes a mockery out of the whole thing. It's kind of happened before. Yeah, so, like, but I'm like, precedent but I'm like, like you, you do it. I'm arbitra- like, you do what you have to do. Like the league know. doesn't like signing bonuses in Toronto, get John Tavares. You have to do signing bonuses. You do it. Eventually the league just does sort of step in and say, okay, enough. When you look at the Kovalchuk contract deals like that have been structured before within that CBA. Mm-hmm. They're just going to say, okay, we don't like this anymore. Let's stop this. And we're rejecting the deal. Of the NHL would actively do that should Chicago decide to trade the Marion Hosa deal. Yeah, so I think it'll happen at some point. I do. I, I, like, if I'm Ottawa, I'm weaponizing my cap room. Okay, you want yeah. us to take this contract? What are you, you know, sending to what us? What are you sending to us? We'll talk about it, but what are you giving us? I just think that the Blackhawks are in a position right now where they've got to be frugal. They've got to be smart. And at some point, when they identify the guy they want, they'll go after that guy. We're going to talk about Carlson in a few minutes, but I wonder if if that's the next guy they go after in free agency. I mean, we'll see.
to Colorado, uh, Ian Cole, Matt Calvert come in. You know, good players, decent signings. Um, you know, some people thought that Cole's number was high. That's the price you pay in free agency. And, you know, when you've got a young team and, and you want guys to teach you how to win, Ian Cole was a really good player in Pittsburgh when they won, and he was a really good player for Columbus. And, you know, Matt Calvert's a guy a lot of people were after. Cole great on the yes. penalty kill. You know, he's, just, he's a competitive guy. I like competitive guys. You know, you've got a young team. They didn't really have to pay ridiculous salaries. They got, you know, good pros. You know, Calvert's another quiet guy who's just a good pro. I like those signings for Colorado. Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Riley, I like the Riley Nash signing. Yeah, I do too. I, uh, I really like that. Uh, Dylan Simpson, our colleague Craig's son, comes in uh, as well. Uh, Jack Johnson on his way out. And maybe the big story hasn't even really happened yet. What's happening with Artemi Panarin well, and CBJ? I have to tell you, like if I was Columbus, I would go for it next year. I would just say we are all in. We are all in. I'm keeping Panarin. I'm keeping Bobrovsky. Now, I had heard that Columbus was in on Eric Carlson. I don't know if they're still in it. Like, someone suggested to me that that you could do a Panarin for Carlson deal. And I'm like, what's Ottawa going to do with that? That makes no sense and whatsoever then, for the Sanders. And he's gone in a year. Exactly. Unless that. you can flip him for more. But, you know, it doesn't make sense to me for the Sanders. Look, Columbus is a good team. I think they do a lot of things right. This is not their fault. This is circumstance. This is a player who wants to be somewhere near a body of water, and we're not talking about Lake Erie. <laughs> like he wants to be somewhere on the periphery of, yeah. the, of the United States, East Coast, West Coast, Texas, Florida. Like that's what we're looking at. I'd go for it. Look, Washington could never get over the hump. They got over the hump, and they won the Stanley Cup. I think Columbus is a good team. I'm saying, all right, guys, we are keeping all of you because, look, Panarin, if he doesn't sign, he's playing for a contract. Mm-hmm. Bobrovsky, if he doesn't sign, he's playing for a contract. And I don't think they're getting Carlson, but if they did and he doesn't sign, he's playing for a contract. I'm going for it. And you know Jump what? The, yeah. And you know what? The other thing, too, is if you lose them, then you got the cap space and you'll just have to make do. I think there are times in your franchise history where you have to say, we're going for it. Listen, like, I remember you, Alex Anthopoulos with the Blue Jays. They hadn't made the playoffs in 20 years. They would say, oh, you're giving up all your prospects for David Price, and I don't care. You haven't been in the playoffs in 20 years. Yeah, you had a shot You've come for to it. a point where you got to go for it. When you, if I'm Columbus, I'm going for it. When you have players like Bobrovsky and Panarin in your lineup, you have to surround them with it. And, you have, and you. you have to go for it. And I think they're a good team. Doesn't every team that has a superstar like that, aren't they sort of obliged to do that? I think there are times you can legitimately say we're going to retool and try again. Columbus, to me, is not at that time. I am going for and But the one thing you have to be, do is you have to come out and say it. Come out and say it and say, guys, we're going for it. Because those guys are all playing for big deals. They're going to be motivated to have great years. And I'll tell you this. Kekalainen's going home. He says he's going to meet Panarin somewhere in Europe or Russia when they're both home. To see where he is, you know what? Seth Jones, Waranski's Waranski's got to get paid next year too. Yep, that might be the best pair in the NHL. I'm saying, guys, yeah. we're all in in 19. By the time this uh, this podcast comes out, we may have to redo this next conversation, depending on what may or may not happen. But Dallas, what's happening with the Stars, and is Eric Carlson involved? It seemed as if things really heated up yesterday. Well, I think they were heating up yesterday. I think Dallas has absolutely gone to the into near the front, if not the front of the conversation, near the front of the conversation. 
there were reports Heiskanen was involved. I don't believe that. I don't think he's <laughs> there. Price. I think if he was there, that trade would be done already. I have heard that the reason that Eric Carlson has not been traded yet is Ottawa just doesn't like the offers. And if he was in it, mm-hmm. it would be done. Because you can't get a player, a young player, as good as him. So I don't believe he's in it. I don't believe Bobby Ryan's in the deal. I think it's some combination of picks, prospect, maybe Honka, maybe Hints, and one of Dickinson and Shore. I think that's kind of what they're looking so many at. Teams. Now, I don't think that's exact, but I think those are the kinds of people who've been discussed. So many teams have come in trying to relieve Dallas of Jason Dickinson. Oh, for, for a couple, two of, couple years. of years now. For two years. And they've always pushed back. Yeah. I've heard Heiskin's uh, not in it. You know, Mark Mathot is getting married, uh, I believe, in Ottawa this week. And obviously Carlson will be there. I think Mathot is a big factor in all this. Mathot would be dying for Carlson to get to And I don't believe, I could be totally wrong on this, but my sense is this does not involve an extension. Like, I think with Carlson, I heard a rumor last week that the only team he was willing to sign an extension with was Tampa. And I checked it and I was told that was wrong. But someone said to me, the list is small. So I think Tampa's there and maybe one or two other teams. But but again, if I'm Dallas and that's the trade, I'm going for it, even if he doesn't sign. I'm taking my chance that either I have one great year of Eric Carlson or him and his wife come down to Texas and they love it, love no it. state tax, and they want to commit. But Dallas got to sign Tyler Sagan, which is going to be a big number. But I do think that Dallas is near the front. I don't think Bobby Ryan's in it, and I don't think Heiskanen's in it. I, I I don't think he ever has been in it. Does Sagan drag on like John Tavares? I don't and know. And Steven Stamkos? I, I, I don't know. I, I think Dallas wants to do it. My guess is it's going to be above Ben's number. Dallas would like would love to keep it there, but I think you're going to make an argument, especially with the percentage of the cap argument, it's going to have to be higher. You can philosophically say the number might be bigger, but percentage of cap might be exactly the same. Yeah. Between what Jamie Ben signs for and what, Absolutely. Uh, and what Tyler Sagan signs for. Detroit Red Wings, Mike Green back, two-year deal. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Vanek back on a one, and Jonathan Bernier in on a three-year contract. You know, it's funny. Colorado, one of the reasons they didn't sign Bernier was because he apparently told them he was going to get a three-year deal somewhere, and they weren't sure where that was coming from. And he was right. He was right. He got it in Detroit. Look. Detroit's rebuilding. Detroit already had their win at the draft. They didn't have to draft. There were a couple of teams that didn't have to draft. Ed- Edmonton didn't have to draft. Bouchard Islanders. fell. Islanders didn't have to draft. Players fell. And Detroit didn't have to draft. The, f- fell. the funniest thing I heard out of Detroit is like they're sitting there saying, well, one of the tables nearby, yeah. they're like, they're talking to Detroit. Yeah, we're taking the best center D. And then Zadina fell them. They look over at Detroit <laughs> and they're all looking at each other. Like, apparently someone said to them, I thought you guys were going to take centers or D. And they're like laughing. Like, how can we not take them? <laughs> So uh, it was like you sit there and you plan out your draft and then it just gets totally thrown sideways. It's interesting. It sounds like there's a bit you're a better junior hockey guy than me. It sounds like there's a big battle brewing about well, whether he's going to be able to play next it's year. It's interesting because the only players that are on loan have the option to go to the American Hockey League. And you mentioned Julius Honka a couple of moments ago. And when he played in the Western Hockey League with Swifty, he was able to play the one year drafted by Dallas. And they were able to put him in the American Hockey League. The thinking was the same about Zadina. And even during the season, uh, I remember talking to some people in Halifax and they're saying, yeah, we don't expect him back next year. Either he'll play on the NHL team or because he's on loan, he can go to the American Hockey League affiliates. And I haven't got any more clarity on this one, but apparently he can't go to Grand well, Rapids. I apologize to the reporter who asked Cam Russell because I would like to credit them, but I can't find it. 
Cam Russell, the GM, by he, the way, of the Halifax Moosehead. He said he's not on loan. So if he's not on loan, then he has to go right. back to junior. I was under the impression he was on loan to Halifax. And that's why he could go to the American Hockey League. I see some forged papers in the near future. <laughs> uh, well, his was an interesting scenario because he's yeah. import draft. But originally, um, when he was first in the import draft, the Vancouver Giants selected him. And he didn't go to the Western Hockey League. Vancouver released him. So he went back into the import draft. And that's when Halifax grabbed him. He played this year with Halifax. Yeah, that's Shot right. the lights out. Yeah. So I know people are hand-wringing over green. Two years, the term doesn't kill me. I think it's just stop over till you get your guys ready. And to me, Detroit won big at the draft, and that's good. I'm curious to see if they get Falk. Larkin, Athanasiu, and Mantha are still O deals with Detroit. Uh, that's right. I'm curious to see if Athanasiu is going to start next year in Detroit. You know, I, I could see liking uh, a guy like Athens to use a team like Vancouver. I could see Vancouver liking that. But I don't know if there's a deal to be made there. Uh, Reader Gravel and Brodziak, Edmonton Oilers. I like the Reader signing. I, I like the Reader signing a lot. It's and, a one year deal? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I had a chance to speak to uh, his agent, Darren Ferris, after it was done. And, you know, I, I said, what's the deal with one year? And, you know, he just said the guy wants to take a chance. There wasn't much. He got, didn't get qualified from the Kings. And uh, if you sign something long-term, he feels if he bets on himself and he has a good year in Edmonton, there'll be a better deal out there for him. And if you're going to bet, why not bet on Connor McDavid and sure. Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins? He's a fast player. He'll be able to get to the net. I really like the Reader signing. I, I thought that was really smart. I just think with Edmonton, it's all going to be internal. There's just a lot of guys who have to be better. And Clefbaum... I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it again. I do believe that you got to trade a guy too early rather than too late. And that this could qualify. But I just can't believe that that guy is going to be as rough as he was last year as long as he's healthy. Last year, guys saw he was hurt. He could barely play. Yeah. You're dealing him at a really low point. I like Clefbaum a lot. Why didn't they take him out of the lineup when he came off? I, I don't understand gone. that all year. And you know, Cam Talbot's going to be playing for a contract too. True. That's going to be big. Florida Panthers, um, the big deal there, of course, the uh, the acquisition of Mike Hoffman. Yep. And, you know, they got a lot of forwards. They do. They got a lot of forwards. They, and it's interesting. Like, I asked Dale Talon in Florida, what are you going to do with all those forwards? And he looks at me and goes, they'll decide who's in the lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, I still think there's a Petrovic move to be made there, you know, on D. Um, Is there a Bugstad move to be made there? I, I, I know that they were looking at it. Like I, I Teams do have know come they were looking so many at different, it. Like originally, I think Vancouver, Montreal looked at it. I think Minnesota looked at it. Winnipeg was the, once upon a time oh, kicking. Yeah. I don't know how recent that would be though. That was a couple of years ago. But Vancouver, yeah. remember, I mean, this goes back to the original Luongo deal, where I think one of the asks originally was for Bugstad. Oh, I didn't know that. Long time ago. Um, they have extra guys. There's no question about it. They have extra guys, and someone's going to go. But the one thing about Talon is he's not afraid to deal. So if somebody comes to him with something, he'll consider it. He definitely was out at the deadline. So you could see it. Problem with the Florida Panthers, they just ran out of road, ran out they of ran runway. Out, started too late. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like Luongo at the draft, he looks great. He really looks great. You know, I, I was thinking about this as I was talking to him because I saw him during the year and you could tell when he was hurt, he was like, this is the end. Yeah. And he kind of admitted that, and he said, but when he when they made the charge, he felt better. It really rejuvenated him a lot. And he says that, you know, basically said they're going to have to drag me off the ice. I'm a big believer in you can always rewrite your life if you want to. And look at a guy who's rewritten 
the last 10 years of his life. Like Olawango just incredible. Going away. Good for him. Los Angeles Kings, the big story there, Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, I don't think that they are done by any stretch of the imagination. Wouldn't surprise me to see Phil Kessel end up in L.A. Yeah, you know, they're looking for another score. Now, why do you think Kessel? Someone hinted that to me two weeks ago. So don't sleep on Kessel to L.A. Interesting. And we know they want speed. We know yeah. they want goals. He satisfies both of those things. So does Jeff Skinner, though. You know, Skinner provided a list of teams that uh, he could be traded to. I don't know if that list is still relevant. I, I heard it was right before the draft. And they have been in on Skinner. They also were in on Pacioretty. Now, the whole Pacioretty thing, this is what I think happened. He was presented with an extension, and I originally thought it was Friday night, Saturday, and someone said to me, no, you're wrong. It was Thursday night, Friday, before round one, because I think the Kings' first rounder was going to be part of that Mm -hmm. trade. And he was offered an extension, but also a time limit to accept it. And I think that was what upset Pacioretty the most, was that he felt he was rushed. Now, the extension, I believe, was either five or six years, between six and six and a half million. Like it might have been the Radulov, which is five times 6.125. I think that's what it was. And I think he was upset about that and the timing. But I think with some time to settle down, I think the Kings could circle back around on that deal. I mean, the problem is Montreal doesn't get this year's LA first rounder. Mm -hmm. Maybe they get another one. But I also think that part of the question is, if Pacioretty is going to turn down that, what does he want? And that's the second part of the equation that's got to sort out here. If they're looking for first-rounders, uh, even though he has played wing, he's, I think, more more so a, a centerman when he actualizes than he is a winger. Could a, another former Kings first-rounder, Gabriel Velarde, be part of something? I don't think they're doing that. Like, I could see them giving up their first rounder in 19 with some lottery protection. Yeah. But, like, Montreal's been asking for Velarde, and the Kings aren't betting on, aren't doing that. Like, if you look at LA, one of their biggest issues is they're old, right? So they can't give up yeah. their good young players. They can't. Um, going all in on all the 30 pluses, though. Yes. Like, this is who we are, and you know what? Whatever. Here comes Kovalchuk. Here's another 30 plus guy. So be it. We're all in on our 30-pluses anyway. Well, I mean, Kopitar had a heart trophy year, and Doughty had a fantastic year and and signed his big deal. The one thing I I do believe, like the difference between Kovalchuk and those other guys is you know your guy's best, right? And I think the Kings are very comfortable with Kopitar, and I think they're very comfortable with with Doughty, and I think they're very comfortable with Quick. And the one thing about Dustin Brown is, you know, Stevens is an empowering guy, the coach, and it did work for him last year. I mean, we'll see if it works again, but, you know, we're, we're ageist now, right, uh, Jeff? We don't like 30-year-olds in <laughs> oh, sports as soon as anymore. You see it, once upon a time was when you saw a four. Now it's when you see a three. You get squirrely. You know, the interesting thing about Doughty, too, is he did his own deal, and he talked about it, and um, some agents are really mobilizing against the Doughty deal. Because if you look at Tavares, it's all bonuses. Doughty didn't take bonuses in the last four years of his deal. So uh, I've I've had a number of agents like you know say to me this is why you need an agent. We'll see. I mean, there's no question about it. I will tell you though that one team said to me they don't like it when players do that, and I said why, and he goes, it's not the contract. It's what happens if you know the relationship goes sideways. He says like an agent does two things. Number one, they make you money. Mm-hmm. And number two is a good agent is the team calls says your guy's been playing bad for two straight weeks. You're the buffer. Is there something here we need to know about 
or our tough love isn't working. Can you massage him to get him back? You know, uh, I know that, like, for example, the Lindros ones, and one of the things that's great to see is how at peace Eric is now with his life and with the Flyers, which I think is the way it should be. But for a while, like, you know, the Flyers were an intense organization, Bob Clark, yep. and you're dealing with family, and it's difficult to have that bridge. One team said to me that from a negotiation standpoint, they have no problem with Doughty not doing it with an agent. <laughs> but they said the thing they would worry about is what happens if Doughty's having a rough time? Who yeah. do you go to to say what's going on He's here? not the only high-profile guy. I mean, you mentioned Lindros. Um, listen, Don Meehan uh, with Newport did a ton of heavy lifting for Alex Ovechkin just to get him to the NHL. And then at the end of it, he, 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 Newport yeah. was dismissed and Ovechkin did his own deal. It's a tough business. You know, the NBA went through this phase when the NBA first went to their rookie salary cap in the late nineties, they went through this phase where people were hiring lawyers and you paid an hourly fee. Yeah. And uh, that kind of went away, but it was interesting. I've, I've had a few agents text me like, you know, the Doughty didn't do a great deal negotiating for himself. He left, he left too much signing bonus on the table. Yeah, where's the lockout insurance? And, what is he doing? And, and you knew that was going to yeah. happen. But I, I was interesting. I had one team say to me, we just don't like that because when things go bad, who's the buffer? To Minnesota, uh, JT Brown, Andrew Hammond, Eric Fair, Matt Hendricks reunited with Bruce Boudreaux, Washington before that, Hershey, um, and Matt Barkowski. Uh, yeah, a lot of depth moves. You know, they tried to move Ennis. They couldn't do it, and they bought him out. Tyler Ennis was a great story. I don't know what happened there. You know what? This is kind of. I don't at, know what happened there. I look at Minnesota and, and I, I say hope to myself, he finds it yeah. again. I look at Minnesota and I say, this is a tough team to be part of right now because they're frozen. They're in the they're middle, locked, dreaded middle. They're, and they're locked in. Yeah. Right? They're locked in with long term contracts for a lot of guys. Like it's going to be tough for Paul Fenton to really put a fingerprint on this team for a while and because the thing, they're locked in. And you got to sign Dumba and you got to sign yeah. Zucker, and those are going to be big deals. Dumba was what like 17th in defensive scoring last he year. Had a fantastic At least he was the time, and, and he played hard in the playoffs, even though he was really hurting. The one thing I hear that uh, that is going to be interesting for them is I think there was a time they looked at trading Brodeen, and then I think they were like, we can't do it because we don't know how Suter's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some worry there about where Suter's going to be. And uh, that might change their fortunes really quick. Uh, Montreal, the next team on, we got to hustle here because uh, I can already feel the hairy eyeball behind us. Too bad, Emil. It's our last dollars. show. <laughs> we talked about Max Patch already. Let's get to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, a couple of you know depth moves. Thomas Buchanitz, um is back. But where is Montreal right now? They are the ones that changed the course of the draft by selecting Yesberry, Kotkaniemi third overall. Where's Montreal at today? I think that the biggest question they have is, you know, how good's their goaltender going to be and how, or how healthy is he going to be and how good is he going to be? And same for Shane Weber. Their best changes are going to come internally. And I like the fact that they didn't mortgage their future for trading for Ryan O'Reilly. I think that was a smart non-trade. I understand why they'd want him. I understand how much you can help them, but you can't be trading the third overall pick for him. Mm-hmm. And I think Montreal is in a position where they've got to build up their assets and build up their organization. If I'm running their team saying, until I know what Carey Price is and what Shea Weber is, and I know that they're going to be back and healthy and at their level, I want to just see where we are. And I thought they were add. Fine. No problem with adding all the draft picks. They're taking a gamble on Max Domi. 
I don't know if I even would have liked them trading, getting another pick and trading it for O'Reilly. I think you just need to keep the assets to yourself. We'll get to the O'Reilly deal with the St. Louis Blues and Buffalo Sabres when we get down eventually in about an hour and a half to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, as we open the segment here of 31 Thoughts, the podcast. He is shaking his head. I'm looking through the glass. <laughs> oh, Emil, yeah. He hates it. We're talking here, man. <laughs> and uh, Emil is editing on the fly as the uh, the podcast continues. National Predators, depth moves, AHL moves, shore up Milwaukee. Hey, great else. team. Don't fool around. Big question, though, Ryan Ellis. You He's got to get paid. Well, here's the thing. Is it going to be Nashville or by someone else? Well, so? here's the thing. So they got a great contract on him last time, and now he's going to come back. And he's a seven, on the open market, he's a $7 million defenseman. And I think he's going to be willing, like some Nashville guys have done, to take a little bit less, no yeah. state tax. But, and here's the but, this is what uh, another player who used to play in Nashville told me. He said that if you're going to do that, you want a no-move clause so that Nashville can't trade you mm-hmm. to somewhere else where you don't get the state tax benefit, and Nashville doesn't do that. And that's going to be one of the things he thinks that's going to be a problem. This is what a former predator told me. Interesting. All those guys love playing there. Yeah. They just want assurances that if I'm taking gonna, the haircut, I'm staying. Same thing for Tampa. Right? Yep. Same thing for Florida Panthers. And Vegas. Right? I do think he's $7 million on the open market. So how close can Nashville get there? Dante Fabro looks like he may be going back to BU. He said he was going back. I think they were trying to get him out of there. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you're thinking about making a move with Ellis, isn't the logical thing, here comes Dante Fabro to take that spot. Yeah, yeah. You want to keep your own guys, too. Like, he's he's born and bred predator. You want to keep those guys. Uh, New Jersey Devils. Eric Griba comes in. Uh, and you said John they Ramage. missed out on DeHaan, right? Missed out on DeHaan. So your defense is green. Vatnin, Butcher with Mueller, Severson probably now with Eric Griba. Yeah. John Moore's no longer part of the equation. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they add something else during the summer. Does Maroon go back there? Yeah. And what's his number at? What's, where's his decimal uh, point? That's a huge question. It, it's a tough spot right now because he's, you know, you're, you're the guy who's still out there on July 4th. It's not always easy. Maybe you take a one-year deal and you go somewhere where you think you can score like Reader did. Like, it's funny, like, people are saying, why aren't the Devils doing anything? It shows you how much it changes in a year, eh? Like, yeah. now the expectations. the expectations <laughs> there. But these are the situations where you can make really dangerous moves. You know, the one thing they've got to do is Taylor Hall is going to come up. And Oof. Taylor Hall is the MVP. You have one thing that you have to do right now, and that is to make sure that you can re-sign Taylor Hall. So, a- a- as far number. as I'm concerned, every decision New Jersey makes is second to what's Taylor Hall's going to number going to be when he's a UFA. New York Islanders, man, it's tough not to feel bad for Islanders fans. Okay. It really is. I Hang have, on. just uh, I have some things I'd like to say here, but go ahead. Tavares is out. Keep adding, Emil. Valtteri Philip, Leo Komarov, uh, Thomas Kunakel, Robin Leonard comes in as a new goaltender. Man, it's tough to be an Islanders fan. Okay. Go I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. Look, I understand the Islanders fans are devastated they lost John Tavares. I get it. Like, I, I really do get it. And I'm, I'm not making fun of them. I'm not criticizing them. I don't like the jersey burning, but you're fans, and without your passion, nobody listens to this podcast. As I said before, I'm not a negative person, or I really try to avoid it. I'm always somebody who tries to say, okay, here's the silver lining, or if you've got a problem, here's how we're going to solve it, or here's how we can make the best of it. I know it is really tough to be an Islander fan right now, and you're really disappointed, 
But I think the whole situation is not that bad. And here's why I say that. The number one thing I would do right now is if I was Scott Malkin and John Ledecky, the owners, I would call a timeout. I would say, we're not doing anything else right now. We're taking a breather. Because we're emotional, and you make the wrong decisions when you're emotional. You're taking a timeout, and if somebody else wants to sign with us, they'll be willing to sign with us in a week when we're ending our timeout. You just got a great draft, Dobson, Mm -hmm. Wallstrom. You've got Matt Barzal, who's going to be a star. You know, you've been selling the arena. Well, now the arena is coming in three years or whatever it's going to be, three, four years. You've got to build towards that. I don't have a problem with the Leonard contract. It's a one-year deal. It doesn't hurt you. I don't have a problem with the Philpola contract. It's a one-year deal. It doesn't hurt you. I wasn't crazy about the term for Komarov, but the money's not that bad, and at least Lamorello knows him. I know in Toronto, they credited Komarov with being an important piece of the culture, and you do need guys like that. I just believe that when the building gets done and everything gets sorted out, the Islanders can work towards being a better franchise to that time. So I would call a timeout and I would say, we're taking a deep breath for a week and we're going to build ourselves up. We are going to sell Matthew Barzal. We are going to sell Wallstrom and Dobson. We have got Josh Bailey still. We've still got some veteran D, Laddie Boychuk, although Boychuk's body, I think, is starting, unfortunately, to fall apart. I'm just saying, guys, we suffered a big kick to the stomach, but we're going to make this work. Bear with us. We're going to take some time. And if I was running the Islanders, that's what I'd be doing right now. But I'd be saying to everybody, guys, time out before we do something we really regret. They really have no other choice, though. Like, they have to build this around Barzell, Wallstrom, and Dobson. That's all true, but I think when you're in the mass hysteria that they're in and your fans are killing you for losing Tavares for nothing, it's easy to forget that. You sit there and say, we've got to do it. We've got to do something. Where do you point a finger at how how that happened? Like, for Islanders fans saying, how did we get here? How did we get to losing John Tavares and not getting anything out of it? Just let I him just think, go. I, I just think they, first of all, in the moment, how many of us thought John Tavares was leaving? I didn't until about a couple of months ago when some players said, hey, I talked to someone on the Islanders and all internally they're saying, we think he's gone. Okay, they think. We think he's gone. Yeah. But you don't know. Yeah. Not A lot of us didn't think it was happening until very recently. But as I an, think, but, You know the, what? I think that they got to learn from their mistake, okay? They thought they were hopeful. And sometimes you have to separate, like even though I'm an optimistic guy, you also have to be honest. Am I going through a bias here? Do I have a bias towards my optimism? You have to be realistic. I think they really worked to keep him. I think they wanted to keep him. And that's what we do. We, we assign blame. Ultimately, it's the Islanders' fault. Ultimately, it's the Islanders' fault. They reacted too late to make changes that might have gotten them to stay. But... The fact is, it's done, it's over with, it's happened. What are you going to learn from it, and what are you going to do to build it? But, again, like, take a time out and say, we've got all these pieces, let's make this work. And I just worry about making bad decisions because you're emotional. I get it. And honestly, I know the Islanders and their fans are furious right now, but I'm sitting here and I'm saying, I get it. 
but it doesn't have to be a franchise crusher. It's only a franchise crusher if you allow it to be one. Speaking of taking a timeout, you know what I really like? I really like what the Rangers did in free agency. You know what? We're not there, so we're not fishing in this pond. They stuck to their plan. Like people were saying, they're I love on, it. There's people it. are saying they're on Carlson. They're not. I don't think they've ever been in on Eric Carlson. And I like that. This is our plan. We're sticking to our plan. What I thought it was a roll of the dice on Vitaly Kravtsov at the draft. Mm-hmm. I talked to one other team and said, "Oh no, we had him top ten. Okay, there you like, go. We we had him as a top ten guy as well. So like, honestly, they got three really good picks in the first round. And you're right, they are sticking to their plan and they are not deviating." from it hey you know what free agency is not for us mm-hmm. we're taking a pause yep we're taking a timeout vancouver i don't know what you're doing but we're taking a timeout yep this isn't where we are right now i don't have a problem with what the rangers have done and the challenging thing for the rangers too is you're in new york you know that you're competing with other sports with big names and show business with big names and they're still saying nope we're building this for the long term mm-hmm. i admire that yeah i'm admire that I, I'm, I'm with you okay Got a thought on Ottawa? <laughs> See, like I said with the when we talked about Dallas, as we tape this podcast, they don't have anything they like. I don't think they have anything they like for Carlson. I've heard the offers have not been great. Don't do it just to do it. Yeah. Uh, the only reason is you're just saying we have to end this at some point. The offers are not going to be great. Like they are, and Carlson's got huge input into this. It's not going to change. You know, I think the toughest thing is the owner's emotional. Like, you never know how he's going to react day to day. He might wake up one day and say to Pierre Dorian, do it. Do Just it do it. Get rid of it. And that could happen at any time. I think the amount of teams that are willing to take Bob Ryan are slim. You know, I think that complicates it. I think Carlson wants to go to Tampa. I think he'd be willing to sign an extension with Tampa. I'm not convinced Tampa... I think they're interested, and I think there's players probably lobbying Carlson to do it, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure Tampa's going to be able to do it. I just don't know. But none of us are talking about Mark Stone. Who's do a deal? Who's one year away from unrestricted free agency. Yeah. Like, this is not the only thing they've got to deal with. And Matt Duchesne. The one thing, He's also one year away. Yes, folks, one the year one away thing I would say is the same thing I said about the Islanders. Don't throw good money after bad. Don't do something like if I'm Ottawa, I said several times, if I have to start again, I'm starting again. And that's what I would do. If you can ever do it, you can do it now. And I think the other thing, too, is you have to look at your players and say, this is not a shot at Stone or Duchesne. It's that if you're going to throw a ton of money at someone, make sure they want to be there. And I'm not saying that those guys don't want to be there. But when you're in this situation, you have to overpay. And you just have to be smart about doing that. Make sure you got guys who are going to take that money for the right reason. I think they offered Eric Carlson 8 times 10. I don't know if there was any structure or no move, no trade. I think they just said 8 times 10, and he didn't take it. And people are saying, well, it's not enough. It's dowdy. Yeah, I, I get all that. Did they just have to do that by matter of form? Yes, we have but to also indicate that we've offered he basically said no. I don't want to be here right now. I'd rather go somewhere else. And I respect Carlson for that. He's basically saying, I'm not taking this money here now. And that's the way it should be. Because A, he'll get it somewhere else. Yeah. And B, he doesn't want to be there. 
All right, uh, moving along. Philadelphia Flyers, James Van Riemsdyk is in on five years. What does that mean for him, the Flyers, and what does it mean for Wayne Simmons? Well, you know, I, I think it's... Power he, play he's overlap gonna, there. The, well, it's right. They, they are in the same spot, right? Yeah. And so Ron Exel said at the draft, us, I'm going to try to sign him. I think it's going to be hard now. I mean, the one thing he has is he's got some cost certainty. He knows what Giroux's number is going to be for a while. He knows yep. what Voracek's number is going to be for a while. The deal I'm really curious about is Provorov. Like, they got Goss to spare at a great number for them. Yep. Where's Provorov going to be? Provorov's a player you can see winning Norris trophies. Yes. That's going to be a big number. Provorov is an underrated heck of a player, but great yep. against Pittsburgh. That one, but I, I got to think right now, if you're Wayne Simmons, who I believe is also getting married around now, it's the summer of weddings, mm-hmm. um, you got to be sitting there wondering exactly what's my future here. Pittsburgh Penguins, Jack Johnson in five-year contract extension with the Pens. Matt Cullen, who says you can't go home again. You can go home again as many times <laughs> as you want. Several times. Back with Jim Rutherford on a one-year deal. I think there's more coming. Well, we've already talked about trades with Phil Yeah, Kessel. you mentioned Kessel. That Sherry deal, that one was coming. That was a good pickup for Buffalo. I like Connor Sherry. Good workman-like guy. I think Pittsburgh still got more to do. We haven't heard the end of the Penguins. And Jim Rutherford likes it best when it's quiet. And it is quiet right now. Do you have a thought on the Jack Johnson? We were talking about Columbus, and now they're going through a rough time. I know people didn't like what Tortorella said. I like that he stood up for his team. Yeah. Columbus going through a rough time. Did you read into anything about what? Because Jack Johnson, no, 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 I wasn't trying to say that about the. This is this is what I think happened. Okay, this is me talking here. So Pittsburgh is getting destroyed for this contract, and Rutherford was trying to spin, and he spun into a place he shouldn't have gone to. And you know what happens is sometimes people forget this stuff goes everywhere. You think you're talking to Pittsburgh reporters, yeah, you're not, and then social media, you're going everywhere. He's saying, well, you know, it's not that bad a contract because there's something here we know that nobody else does, and this is it. And then it gets back to Columbus, and they're furious. That's what I think happened there. San Jose Sharks. Jumbo's back for another year. Thomas Hurdle for four more. Yeah, I like the Hurdle signing. That's yeah. a good signing. You know, I heard San Jose's offer to Tavares was around 13 times 7. And, um, so he left a lot of money on he the le- table. He definitely left money on the table. What did him in? The, uh, the aging core? And the Maple Leafs core was younger and a window to win was uh, well, longer? Well, you know, Tavares made it very clear that he wanted to be in Toronto. I think by the number he took in Toronto, that, that was something there. Like, I had heard the su- Saturday night that it was between Toronto and San Jose, and Tavares said on the Sunday that that was wrong. It was Toronto or the Islanders. You know, one of the things that I do think I'm curious to ever ask him is that one player told me that there were some players who played on the West Coast who said – when you've played in New York, you do not understand how easy your travel is compared to the West Coast teams. Mm. And I wonder if that was a factor. Like, I don't think San Jose did anything wrong. I think the younger as opposed to older was a deal. I think the being from Toronto was a deal. I think the travel was a deal. I think San Jose kicked tires on Carlson, Eric, after they didn't get Tavares. It didn't work, but I don't think it's going to work there. But I think that's still a really good team. And I think Doug Wilson does something else. St. Louis Blues, Tyler Bozak in, Chad Johnson, David Perron returns, Robbie Fabry resigns, and they trade for Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, and they got some guys off their roster. They weren't happy with Saboka, and I don't think they were happy with Berglund. 
the money washed. Yes. Like what you're paying O'Reilly. Sure, you had to pay the bonus yes. for him a lot, but the money ended up washing. Well, I think like, I think Botterill played that pretty smart in a way. He said, look, if you want me to take those guys, you're paying the bonus. Yeah. So I, I understand why it worked out, and credit to St. Louis for doing that. I think a lot of us would have thought that they wouldn't have done it. I think they were in on Paul Stasny, too. I think they tried to bring him back, and yeah. they just couldn't get to – they weren't comfortable with where it got to. I think St. Louis wanted to make changes and with Berglund and Saboka, and they did it. I thought Tage Thompson had some pretty interesting things to say after when he said that – Daggers. Were, yeah. But you <laughs> know what? Darts. Like, uh, You know what? I'll tell you this. Like, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, he put his cards on the table, and he got what he wanted. And uh, they're going to get a motivated guy to show that mm-hmm. he is better. And I bet you, you know, he will be better. The one thing that's interesting to me with the Blues is this Pareko stuff. Like, I really think he's a hell of a player. I don't know where the trade stuff's coming from. If I have a player like Colton Pareko. Well, here's what I want. Not a chance. Petrangelo's coming go. up, right? You think he's Petrangelo insurance? Well, Petrangelo's coming up. No, what it says to me is they're going to try to extend him. He's their captain. And I wonder if they just look at it and say, how much money can we have on the right side of our D? Mm -hmm. And secondly, if he does get traded, he's going to get them a ton. That's a whop. Like, I like of a deal. Yeah. And it just doesn't go away. Like, like Iserman and Armstrong are close. Like, I wonder if Iserman can't get Eric Carlson. Is he the guy who looks at it? Because he's looking for a right hand D. Yeah. And Pareko has cost certainty. He's signed for a few years. He fetches you a ton. And Tampa could do that. Like, I admit, I'm really spitballing here. I think the St. Louis Blues decided they needed a culture change. And I'm not knocking Pareko at all. But I think they really felt that Berglund was stale and Sabotka didn't work. And they're banking on O'Reilly fixing that. I think Tyler Bozak is another guy. I know he loved it in Toronto. I think a change will be good for him, too. You know what players say about him? Easy to play with. Bozak makes it makes it so easy. I just thought it so his, easy to play. I thought his article He's easy to is, play with guy. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. I think his players tribune thing said a lot about him, like as a person yeah. that he didn't kick them on the way out and was very complimentary. Tampa Bay Lightning. Cam Gonson, Slater Cuckoo resigns. McDonough I mean, resigns. Yep. And Tyler Johnson gets his no trade clause. It kicked in on July right. 1st. Like I said, I think Iserman's going to swing big. I think he's looking at uh, right hand D. I think there's a, a Tavares counter maybe coming somewhere, whether it's right hand D or somewhere else. Hmm. And I think Tampa's going to like the challenge of everybody loves Toronto right now. They're the betting favorite. What's Those Vegas response? bookies are smart. They know everybody wants to bet on Toronto, so they drop the odds. I think Tampa will relish the challenge of Toronto. Vancouver and the headline there, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel. Not that they brought them in, but what they brought them in for, yeah. specifically term, Elliot, yeah, four I, years each. I don't know Roussel that well. I know Jay Beagle a bit. I'm really happy for him sure. as a guy. Fantastic. Those to me are Travis Green signings. That's Travis Green saying, I need these guys. And, you know, Benning's taking the hit for all of them. <laughs> you know what? Like, good on Benning. He gets up there. He knows he's going to get killed, and he just goes out and does it. Yeah, I think that's a Travis Green wish. But it's one thing to want those players. another thing to give them that term, though. Yeah, and, that, and that's more the issue but you than know anything what? else. Like, the thing is, in eight years ago, when Vancouver was challenging for the Stanley Cup and they were winning President's Trophies, all their guys were taking less money. The Sedins took less. Kessler took less. Yeah. Burroughs took less. Bieksa took less because they knew they could win. Now, when you're on the other end of the spectrum, that's what you have to do. You have to pay more. And but you can, why? Why? 
why bring in players for four years? Why bring depth guys in for four years? I, I don't get, think any, the, I money, the, the money is the money you're going to overpay, but you have yes. to give, is the market really four years for these guys? No, not necessarily. They just, look, they knew they could walk away from those guys and they decided not to. And I think the reason is that their coach really wanted them and they decided, okay, we've made this guy our coach and we're going to support him. Mm-hmm. Rightly or wrongly, that's what I think the decision is. Their long deals, I know what their fans feel like. Besser got run pretty big at the end of last year. And I think Roussel's kind of there to stab guys who run at Besser again. <laughs> and, you know, Beagle, he's a pro. I, I know why people don't yeah. like it, but you're starting from the bottom. I wonder, though, like I said earlier, Detroit, Athens, CU. Like, to me, that's a guy Vancouver should be targeting. Vegas, Paul Stastny, Ryan Reeves is back, Nick Holden as well. Vegas is just not going to behave like an expansion team. No, and uh, I think they were interested in Tavares. Didn't happen. Obviously, they're still around Eric Carlson. Didn't happen. I think they felt that Halla, that's two-line center, got beaten up a bit in the final. Mm-hmm. I like the Stasny thing. And the thing about Vegas, Vegas is fast, right? Paul Stasny's not a fast guy, but he could survive in Winnipeg because they were fast around him. I think that'll work in Vegas, too. I mean, so that's I, the same formula as Boston with David Crutchy. There's the bullet, and then there's the vacuum behind the bullet, yes, and, and that's where you play. And, and that's where you play, and, and it showed it could work in Winnipeg, and I think it'll work in Vegas. I, I'm just wondering, is the chemistry going to be there? There's no James Neal anymore who was a part of that group. To me, the question is, can they put back in the bottle mm-hmm. what they did last year? Or is what you're trying to say, can they go on another shooting percentage bender? Like they went on last yeah, year. Yeah, Carlson will everything, be an interesting Everything one. went in the net. Like, you know, George McPhee, like I think the analytics battle is over. Like I really do. But George McPhee talked about it at their development camp. It's very clear that they're aware of that. You know, why didn't, why hasn't Carlson got a new deal yet? Because they're asking the same questions that we are. Because he's not going to shoot like that again. And the agent's like, well, we're, he scored 42 goals. Hey, yes. That's what a good agent does. So you're kind of in the middle. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really interesting, fascinating battle. Washington. Man, did I love going there a lot this year. Though. Yeah, I'll bet you did. Washington, Capitals. It got almost everybody back. You, you know, Orpik's interesting. Back. It's not there. The coaching change, you know, will be interesting. You know, Todd Reardon's a guy almost got hired in Calgary. Pretty highly respected. A lot of the players there like him. Was that going to happen regardless of yes. the all, all year long? Yes, 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 it was. It was going to happen. I think it was over when Brian McClellan, with 50-50 hindsight, or 20-20 hindsight, whatever we talk about. <laughs> 50-50 is really good Gosh, eyesight. That's awesome sight. Dude. With 20-20 hindsight, it was over when Brian McClellan got extended and yeah. Barry Trotz didn't. Right. That's kind of where we are. They're going to try to get Tom Wilson done long term, and we'll see how much of a Stanley Cup hangover there is. There's certainly one in the summer. We'll see how there is in the... The season starts next year. To everyone who said, yeah, look at Ovechkin. Man, he really is partying with the cup. Folks, that's even before he got to Russia. Let's just calm down. You know when you're painting a house, Elliot, you prime before you paint? What we saw in North America was Alex Ovechkin priming before he got back home and then started to paint. Uh, we'll finish up the podcast's longest intro ever with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, mentioned Stastny, he's off to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Laurent Boissois comes in and a number of group twos in uh, Truba, Morrissey, Lowry, and Connor Hellebuck as well business for winnipeg is what look we all know what their challenges are they're coming they got to sign truba they got to sign yeah. uh line a the, did you read that story on the airline by the way no so line a was on a flight the other day from i think spain back home 
and there was a, a drunk guy acting like an idiot and a bunch of kids got really thrown and he calmed them all down by like shaking their hands and giving them autographs and taking pictures with them. Oh boy. Like what a, what a great human being. Like that's just a really nice move. And by the way, we didn't mention Armia. Armia was a good that's, pickup yeah. for Montreal. Yep. You know, I'll tell you this. I heard one team, I don't know who the team was, but I heard one team asked Winnipeg for Roslovic to take Mason. Oof. And they were like, no, we're, we're not yeah, doing yeah, yeah. that. I think it's going to be a big year next year for Roslovic. He's going to be given an opportunity. Little will be moved up in the lineup. Roslovic will be at center. I think Winnipeg did the wise thing. The only thing it could do was we're going to stick with the plan and we're going to do it this way. There's no other option they really had. You can't blow your budget for the Trubas, the Lines, the Connors, uh, the Roslovics mm. for Paul Stasny at this time. You just, unfortunately, you just can't. Okay, that intro to the 31 Thoughts podcast was for you, the fan who hates the Maple Leafs, the fan who says, I'm not going to listen to this podcast because all it's going to be is Leaf Talk because their next guest is Kyle Dubas, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And with that, we welcome you to 31 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you by the all-new 2018 GMC Terrain. Holy, that was monster. Woo! See the breaking news slide up there that the Toronto Maple Leafs have acquired John Tavares via free agency. This quote, it's time to live my childhood dream in Toronto. That's from John Tavares and uh, his Twitter account right now. But that allure, Brian, you lived it as a manager trying to sell that of coming back to Toronto and they capitalize on it. I said when I came to Toronto as a general manager, the GM that wins the Stanley Cup here, they're going to name schools after him and streets after him, right? That's how big it is here. And if John can come in and produce a real championship team, it'd be great. I'd like to formally welcome John Tavares and his fiance Aaron to our organization. Uh, it's a very exciting day for us uh, as we continue to, to move towards our ultimate goal and continue with our process here. You know, what I saw from the Maple Leafs, uh, the feeling I had talking to them, it just felt right. It felt like the timing was right with where this team is, how young their core is, uh, what the future may hold, and where I'm at in my career and how I can come in and help this team. And obviously being from here, you start to get some of those feelings about what it was like being a kid. And, you know, when you're five, six, seven years old, it's not uh, just about playing in the NHL. You think about you're going to play for your hometown team. But uh, as uh, my heart and my gut were kind of tearing at me the last couple of days, I just felt like it was right. Please be joined now by the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who is currently at the AHL meetings in lovely Hilton Head. Kyle Dubas uh, joins the 31 Thoughts podcast for the first time. Kyle, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, second of all, congratulations. Uh, congrats there twofold, I suppose. You're at the AHL meeting, so congrats on the Calder Cup for the Marlies. And even bigger news, uh, congrats on making the headlines on free agent day, signing John Tavares. How are you today? Today I'm well. We're uh, we're just navigating our way through the off season here and working with our staff to continue to round out uh, the remaining holes that we we feel we have and in, in our program. But 
everything is, has gone well to start. It's a great uh, group of people here with the Leafs, and, and it's good to still be down at this American Hockey League annual meeting um, because it was a, a big part for me and my own development, but also the American League has been great for the development of our of our young players. Certainly true. And uh, I want to get to the... Um the Marley side of things for the uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs and what that means for the future. But the John Tavares news is, of course, the headline maker and is still being felt all over the NHL. Chris Johnson has an interesting timeline, really nice piece at sportsnet.ca. I'm curious from your point of view, when discussions about John Tavares or discussions about someone like him begin during the season, like at what point are you starting to plan scenarios for if John Tavares becomes available on the market on July 1st? I think as an organization, you're you're always trying to look ahead as long as you can and as far ahead as you can. So once we got through free agency last year, you very tentatively, uh, you're getting ready to plan your scouting assignments for your head and the different types of projects, whether it's your, your personnel department or your R&D department that you want them to begin to look into. And then we also have Brandon Pridham here who does an unbelievable job with, with our salary cap and our contract negotiation. So you start to look ahead to what's available, what might fit and what might not fit. And then as we got to the trade deadline and uh, as we navigated that and started to plan ahead to our off season, it's when we started to really hone in on the free agents that were going to be available. And, of course, you, you know a lot of them come off the board signing extensions as time goes on. But we started to obviously prepare uh, just in case we had the opportunity where John got to the interview period on June 25th and began to plan for how it could potentially fit into our organization, what we would be able to present to him in terms of his fit with our program and, and roll from there. So it's, it's a long process with any of these players, and I think you're always navigating it thinking that you know, a lot of the work that you're doing could be for naught because a lot of these players do tend to uh, resign with their existing club. But in this, uh, in the scenarios where the players do get to free agency, I think you're, you're very thankful that, that you have this the type of staff that can prepare as well as we did to be able to go in to L.A. and present our opportunity to John. Kyle, when you were hired, you did an interview with Ron McLean, and he asked you, you know, what books you read, and a couple of the ones that you've mentioned were uh, one by Bill Walsh, The Score Takes Care of Itself, which I know was one that Alex Anthopoulos really believed in. I read that years ago when Anthopoulos mentioned it to Toronto Life. And the other one you mentioned was Thinking Fast and Slow. And so during the Stanley Cup final, I poured through that thing. And one of the things that the author, Daniel Kahneman, talks about is pervasive optimistic bias. And it's about, you know, the people that talk about how we have substantial control of our lives. He calls it the illusion of control. And I wonder that week, as you make your pitch to Tavares and then you wait for his decision, I reread that chapter and I'm wondering how much that sort of goes through your mind as you sit there for five or six days while John Tavares figures out which way he's going to go. So it's interesting, Elliot, when... This was the the second time in my life and in my short career where we've gone in and had to make a presentation. The other time was when I was interviewed to become the general manager in Sault Ste. Marie. And in both cases, in that interview process, I was the first candidate to interview with the board of directors in Sault Ste. Marie. And in this case, we were the first team to present to John uh, last week and last Monday afternoon in, in Los Angeles at CAA's offices there. And in both of those cases, they were the two times where I didn't have a great feel for how the day had gone and for how the 
the presentation had gone, how it was received. When you really, really prepare for something, you become so immersed in trying to get through your presentation materials and, and maybe you aren't looking for cues from the other side as, as much as you would. So there was no real, in our case, I think myself, Brendan and Mike, after we left, I thought we, we thought we had done a good job, but we really didn't have a read for, for how it had gone. And that was the same as when I interviewed in Sault Ste. Marie. And then you go through the whole scale of emotions for the rest of the week. You start to hear people say, well, they thought you did a really good job. And then, and then other people say, well, you know, I think they're worried about X, Y, and Z. And you just have to ride the wave of being up and down. And, oh, I feel good about this. And now I don't feel so confident about the way that we presented uh, this fact or this opportunity. And I think that that's especially true rather than be optimistic the whole, I think you try to be optimistic the whole time, but you're also trying to be realistic and look at reads that were presented by John and his camp during the whole thing. And, and I didn't really have a great read on it until late Wednesday night and early Thursday that they had thought that our presentation was very well received. Let's jump ahead a bit. One thing that people always say is nothing is done until it's done. When was it done? Well, it was actually done when John walked through the door in our offices July 1st, mid-afternoon, when John Tavares and his fiance walked in to our offices. Then I knew it was done. And Saturday night, we started to get word that he was leaning in our direction. And so after the clock past midnight, that was a sign for us that you know, there wasn't going to be an eight-year deal on the table. And then at that point, Pat... Rasan and Jim Nice had started to have discussions with us about a structure, and it was a conversation with John early Sunday morning where he had said that he wanted to be a Maple Leaf. So at that point, I, I allowed myself to think that it could be so, Elliot, but it wasn't really until I, I figured, you know what, I've been in, in cases like this where you have to make a big life-changing decision, and it wasn't until the next morning when... I spoke to John again, so Sunday morning, mid-morning, where I knew he had slept on it. It had allowed the chance for any changing of the mind, really, and that he was going to begin his correspondence to inform the fans of New York and the fan base that are so important to him that he wasn't going to return. At that point, I knew it was well down the tracks, and then when he walked in the door and signed his contract, I knew it was final and, and allowed ourselves to enjoy it at that point. We saw the emotion that you can convey when Sheldon Keefe handed you the Calder Cup on the ice at Rico Coliseum. <laughs> what was the feeling, what went through your mind when you knew the answer was yes and everything was all signed? So <laughs> my emotional outbursts at times, they're not all too common, but when things do get exciting and I think when your organization accomplishes something, I tend to get more emotional when there's a lot of people involved and those people have helped to contribute to something that's very successful. And, and when I walked into the office on Sunday, as, it, as you know, it started to build that it was coming to its conclusion to see some of the people in the organization that had been with the organization for a long time and certainly those people that have been here for the four years that I've been here to see how much it meant to them and and how important a day it was because, you know, I think you're not immune to, we have to answer the question all the time, so you're not immune to the fact of when it comes to signing players in Toronto, there's a strong contingent of people who, and I would say they've been justified by past decisions, say that big time free agents don't want to sign here, it's too much of a fishbowl, whatever they, they may say. And so a lot of people in our organization don't believe that for varying different reasons. So I think for them, they've been trying to hammer that home to players for a decade or more, and, and in our case, for years. And to see a player finally 
agree and take that step with us at this stage in our development as a program was massive to them and it meant a lot to them and I think you could see how excited the people in the building were so a very different reaction because you know it's great to have John sign but I think John would tell you as well that's a good step but we're all continuing to work towards our goal of contending year in and year out and putting in ourselves in a position to win. The Marley's thing was different because it's a nine-month process, and for some of the people there, it was they've been together with me for seven seasons, and for better or for worse, that was the last chance that we were going to have as a group to finally win a championship, and so it was very exciting. But they're both emotional events for everyone involved, varying degrees of outward emotion on my end. Okay, Cal, Elliot wants to uh, push you forward. I just want to keep dragging you backwards. Uh, <laughs> this isn't the first time the Maple Leafs in recent history have gone through something like this, this type of presentation. Stephen Stamkos, a couple of seasons ago, he ended up, of course, staying with Tampa. What was different in the pitch to John Tavares uh, vis-a-vis the pitch to Stephen Stamkos? What I'm getting at is, were there lessons learned in the pitch to Stamkos that the organization brought to the pitch to John Tavares? I think from my end, my role in both was very different. So with uh, the Stamco's presentation, I was just more on the periphery in the role as assistant general manager, and I just observed and, and watched a lot of it. The Stamco's presentation was in Toronto, and the Tavares presentation was in L.A. I mean, that's not his home turf, but it was a building more familiar to them because it was at their, the agency's offices with Pat and Jim in L.A. But the focus for us with John was only on on hockey and that was the the major thing that that we wanted our focus to be was here's who we are as a hockey team and here's who we are as a program to help you reach your potential here's what we do on the development side here are all the facets of our program that we've built out over time and if you rewind to two years ago we were going in and saying you know here's what we're going to become and here's what we intend to be so it was selling somebody or trying to sell them on what we intended to be as an organization that had just finished in in last place and picked first overall versus now in 2018, here's where we are, here's what we're about, you know who the players are. It was much easier. There wasn't selling so much as educating on where the Toronto Maple Leafs have come from 2015 to 2018. So I would say that was the major difference, and we focused on hockey. To me, it has to be always about hockey and the periphery stuff that comes with playing in whatever market it is, you know, that's up to the player and, and his representative in terms of what he does or doesn't want to do. There's obviously a lot of opportunity for that in Toronto because of the popularity of the sport and the team. But for us, it has to be about hockey and how we're going to take care of him as a hockey player and his family and continue to work towards reaching his goals as an individual and how that can contribute to our team's success. One of the things I had heard, Kyle, was that with Stamkos, when you went through this process two years ago, that you as an organization felt that the sponsorship stuff was a mistake in retrospect, and that wasn't going to be anywhere near here. True or false? I don't know that we ever thought that was a a mistake, Elliot. I think that was something that was deemed as important to us to present from, from both sides in terms of, you know, these are the different types of people that can be involved. And from that element, from the business side of it, if you're, you know, you're in Toronto, I think every player in hockey knows this because I can go back to my agent days and I remember whenever we would do an endorsement contract 
with a player, the pay would be right in the boilerplate of whether it was an equipment company or trading cards or you know various different people who wanted to be involved on the endorsement side. It was always scaled to the market, so there was you know teams that were in tier one, tier two, mm-hmm. tier three, based on of course the the following, the popularity of the sport in those markets, and thus the the athlete's ability to push through that market and to be somebody that the companies may want endorsing their products. So, you know, with Toronto and there, and there's lots of teams that are like this now in hockey, but whether it's Toronto, Montreal, New York, Boston, and I would even stretch that now to Tampa and how popular the sport is in Tampa and LA, et cetera, et cetera, that that stuff comes to the forefront of people's minds when they're discussing those markets in particular. And so that was deemed to be something that was important in our presentation back then. And I don't think that we thought it was, was wrong uh, so much as I think that we're a hockey program and we have to be, in the end, these guys want to have success on the ice and they want to reach their potential as individuals and they want to know that if they reach their potential as an individual that it's going to contribute to great team success and that the team is going to contend. They want to know those plans more than anything else and I think the more that we can keep the focus just on hockey and let their agents and representation worry about that other stuff and we can deflect and protect them in those ways that we're going to be far more successful that way than trying to go in and say, hey, you know, if you come to Toronto, it's very obvious that, and I think there are a number of other teams that can say this, that there's a lot of people that would want to be associated with your brand. But for me, I think our focus has to be just be on our hockey program and what we're doing there. You know, this year, the draft, uh, first round, you select Rasmus Sandin, defenseman, Sussain Marie Greyhounds. One of the interesting stories around him this year was that part of the recruiting to get him to the Hounds, a lot of it was done by Barrett Hayton, who had played with them in various U-17 and uh, international tournaments, uh, and would text him, say, hey, come on, Sussain Marie, great program, can really use you. He had been to a number of teams in Sweden, and it ended up working. From the Maple Leafs' point of view, we saw players like Austin Matthews, Nazem Kadri, Mitch Marner, you know, all very publicly you know, congratulate John Tavares on, on making his decision. And strong speculation is they were part of the recruiting process. Hey, John, great program here, winning cycle, have a window open now for a, a number of years. How much of that would come from the general manager's office? I guess what I'm asking is, would you have would you have recruited the Cadres, the Matthews, and the Marners to help recruit John Tavares? Well, I think the interesting part for me, Jeff, was that all of those players wanted to get involved. So once they you know, started to get out there, that oh, Toronto's one of the teams that's a part of the process and they've been given a ticket to the dance, we had our players reach out to me, a lot of them, wanting to say, hey, how can we help? Do you want us to come to L.A. to be there? Do you want, like, you know, I know John, do you want us to talk to him? And, you know, no matter what we go in there and do, Brendan, Mike, and myself, a hockey player is coming to a program because of the people that he's going to play with and his teammates that he's going to be in it with every day. And I think that no matter what is written or what is said about this whole process, John Tavares doesn't come to Toronto without the players that are here. So all of the credit for him coming, I think, has to go to our players because of how they've developed, how they've turned the program around in the last three seasons and what they've done. To me, it's never about management or anything like that. It's about the players, and without those players, he doesn't come. So I think all of the credit has to go to them. They obviously uh, had interaction with John you know, in the last uh, week where they shared their experience here, which I, which I think is great. Your players are always your best reference when a player is looking to come somewhere, and they'll always be that way. Uh, I think you know our job is to 
build the program out, but the players are the ones who come in and execute it. And I think when it comes to recruiting or when it comes to a player deciding to sign somewhere, it's always the players that are going to be the ones that get that done. And, and so it's all credit to those guys and looking forward to seeing them all together come the fall. What was in the video? <laughs> that's a that's a popular uh that's a popular question um i i think we just wanted to show john what it would be like if he was a toronto maple leaf and and that's what we did you know it's it's nothing spectacular or special i i don't think just about the people who he's going to be here with and what our program is about give him a chance to visualize what it would be like for him to be a Toronto Maple Leaf and uh, where the program is going and go from there. I'll I'll leave the sharing of that. I think it's a very personal thing to John. That was what our, our major focus was. So I'll leave if, if there ever comes a day where he wants to share what it was all about, I'll leave that to him because it was a very personal presentation to him. It's going to become uh, the Maple Leafs rosebud. You uh, know that, uh, Elliot. I am going to push this one question further, and Kyle can decide if he wants to answer it. Okay. In the Cubs way, the book about uh, Theo Epstein and the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series and ending the curse, they want to sign John Lester, the pitcher, as a free agent, and they do it. They set it up with an official graphics company and excellent work, and they basically show him what it would be like to win the World Series as a Chicago Cub on Wrigley Field. So, Kyle, my question to you is, did you create a situation where Tavares or somebody with him scores a Stanley Cup winning goal in Toronto? I'm not over it. The answer is no. And it's, not, it's not that I'm a really superstitious person, but I just have a, a strong leniency towards not tempting karma and Fair doing enough. things the right way. So our messaging is, you know, we, we hope to get there one way and, and everyone can experience that for themselves. But that wasn't something that we were willing to go to in that regard. But I did read that, and it's certainly very, very interesting. And you read, you know, whether it's Golden State with uh, Kevin Durant and the virtual reality goggles and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Uh, There's a lot that can be done these days, but we tried to build a a good presentation but really kind of err on the side of caution when it it comes to tempting karma with that type of stuff. So you haven't called the mayor, John Tory, and said, hey, you might want to get construction (laughs) done in the city uh, as soon as possible. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Uh, uh, roster construction, you're being very generous with your time, and we thank you. Roster construction, I'm always curious as to when certain deals get done. William Elander, a big name, of course, coming up this summer. And then you are still free and clear to sign Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews to extensions right now, uh, if you wanted. How do you decide who goes first? I'm always interested in who, which contracts end up getting done before other contracts. There's no book for this, but how do you decide? Well, I think the easy answer is, you know, there's only one of them that doesn't have a contract for next season, and that's William. Yep. And with all of them, these are all very important players to the Maple Leafs and to our future. And my belief is that rather than rushing to get them done on the first day, if, if a player is going to be signing up here uh, long-term, Jeff, and this might be counterintuitive and some people might not like this, but I believe that you need to sit with them and convey to them what the vision for the team is and what they're signing up for for the next whatever amount of years it is, from one to eight years, either whatever type of deal these these players sign. The ultimate goal, and I know it doesn't always work this way in hockey and in in any uh, form of athletics, but is that they're going to be here their whole career. So I always think that when a player is going to make a commitment of any length, particularly when they're signing up long-term, that 
we need to sit with the player and make sure that the player knows where we're going as a program and, and what our vision and our plans are. So those are discussions that, that I'll have with each of the, the individual players that are due extensions uh, here or due contracts for next season. And it might go a little bit slower than some people would like, but that would be on me to continue to be patient with it and, and make sure that these guys are, you know, they're not just signing because it's a long-term contract and it's obviously a, a, a nice pay increase for them, but they want to be here as a part of the long term. They know where we're going and they're a full part of that rather than sign a deal and then, you know, a year later wonder what the vision is for the program and whether they want to be a part of it. So that's sort of the tactics that we'll, we'll take and, um, you know, how whatever order they get done. And I, I think that each of them has a different uh, representative and those representatives have different uh, histories and different habits when it comes to doing these types of deals. And, and we obviously take that into account and trying to open uh, discussions with them. But we'll be very patient and I wouldn't expect anything imminent. Uh, at least I don't think that today as I speak with you guys on any of the three. Um, but we'll just start to work towards them and they're, all three of them will, will be a big part of it as we move ahead. I have two more. First of all, can you keep all four of them? Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews. Does the salary structure allow you to do that? We can and, and we will. Okay. Second thing I have is Tyler Bozak wrote a phenomenal piece for the Players' Tribune where one of the last sentences he writes is, you're in good hands, Toronto. The next few years are going to be a lot of fun. Believe in Kyle Dubas and the talent you have. Austin, William, and Mitch can do anything. Trust me, I saw them in practice every day. They're special. What does that validation mean to you from a player who is leaving? I think it's always interesting, and this might sound strange, but I always thought that you got your best read on how you were as a manager and what type of program you have and the external look and opinion of the players that you have within that on people who leave. I think it's very, very easy for players who have left or haven't had a great experience to be negative. But in particular, if you have people who leave your program or leave your business, I don't think it's just to a sport, it's to do with any business. The people who leave the business often, they don't feel the need to be dishonest when they have a forum where they can publicly discuss what it was like and so to have Tyler you know say those things yesterday and then listen to you kind of recite them there Elliot I think that's very meaningful personally to me but I think more importantly to our program and and about those players each day because that's not something that Tyler Bozak had to do I think in in most of these cases the outgoing player will write about the city and the fans and his experience in the city so for Tyler to take that step and write that about our organization and program and about the players, I think that was very, very meaningful to me and to us. And certainly I think uh, we have to continue to build upon that uh, that type of narrative from players who've come and gone. Because if you're trying to recruit a player, you're trying to recruit somebody to come and work for you, uh, they're going to ask the players who are not with you that are elsewhere, what's this person like as a manager? What's this person like as a coach? What are your teammates like? And those people have no reason to hold back. And so if those people who have gone are very positive about where the program is at, I think that speaks very highly about your organization. And, and it's something that I, I think we've we've done well at and we need to continue to improve upon. And the last thing I'll just say uh, about Tyler Bozak and JVR and Leo and Roman Polak is that though they've signed elsewhere, you know, this 
project of building the program back up is not nearly as far along, if not for the contributions of, of those players. Usually in rebuild, you see kind of all of the, the veteran guys get thrown overboard at various times, and, and those guys were such a huge part, and they were all here from, you know, Roman uh, came and went once, but the others were all here from the beginning of my four years now uh, being with the Leafs, and their contributions to turning the program around from being a lottery team to being in the playoffs and last year setting franchise records and various different aspects uh, were absolutely massive. And if not for those guys, I don't think our young players come along as well. And th- those are contributions that, that I'll personally never forget having seen them firsthand. Okay, last one for me, Kyle. Um, and I want to ask it about the Marlies. Uh, one, uh, when the seconds click off and the Marlies win the Calder Cup, who are you happiest for? Uh, I would imagine Sheldon Keefe would be top of that list considering uh, how much you know you personally stuck your neck out for him, both in Sault Ste. Marie and in Toronto. And secondly, again, with the Marlies, how much loyalty is there from the general manager for positions on the Maple Leafs next year? Those guys you were successful with at the AHL level, how much will they be given an extra look, benefit of the doubt when it comes to training camp next season? To answer the first question, Jeff, I, I was really, really happy for everybody. I mean, you start in early September and then you go to it was June 14th. That's a long grind of a season, particularly in the American League where you're on the bus and you are flying. There's not anything fancy or anything like that. And there's lots of three and threes. There's lots of late games, and then five-hour bus rides back and playing in the afternoon. And the contributions of everybody with the Marlies program and our player development program, day in and day out for nine months, their commitment and their energy level, their disposition never, ever wavered throughout the whole journey. So I was very, very happy for our staff, obviously happy for Sheldon, thrilled for our veteran players on the team who were outstanding this year. We had a, an interesting mix. We had five really top-end veterans and then nothing really in between. And, and every game we played, we had the most entry-level players of any team uh, throughout the year in our lineup and particularly in the playoffs. So the veterans did an excellent job of bringing those younger players along. And on that note, to your second question uh, about my loyalty to those players, I think any time you, you go through that and you win with people, you're thrilled. But I don't even think it requires my loyalty to them during the stretch from May to June where every single game of the Marlies was on TV and, and all of our, our Leafs entire staff was there and able to watch. Those players earn the respect and, and the adulation from, from all of our staff. And I think they earn the ability to put themselves into that mix for next year without me having to do a single thing, uh, as it usually is. And in sports, the players are the ones that, that go out and accomplish it. And I was really, really happy that a lot of these guys, whether it was Andreas Janssen, Trevor Moore, Justin Hall, Martin Marinson, I can go on down the list for for a long time but those players played so well every night throughout the playoffs and I think their performance is what's earned them an increased opportunity come the fall and what I know about them now is that when things get tough they're going to dig in and, and continue to perform and perform well so I'm, I'm very excited for them and, and I know it's uh, it's already you know just two months away from our rookie tournament starting and we're excited about that. Listen, you've been very kind with your time. Uh, continued success. Uh, you've had a, listen, obviously fantastic June and beginning of July as well. Best of luck uh, with the remainder of the off season, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up at training camp. Thanks so much for this, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, Kyle Dubas, General Manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Here's why I asked the question about Marner and Matthews. Now, the Nylander deal is going to get done this summer. I had a conversation with someone a while ago who brought up the point that Perhaps if Edmonton had a redo, they might do Dreisaitl before they do Connor McDavid. The feeling that 
in doing Dreisaitl after McDavid, ended up paying Dreisaitl more than they would have if they did it the other way around. So if you're Kyle Dubas in this position, are you saying to yourself, hold on, I don't want to do Matthews first and then maybe overpay Mitch Marner. I would rather do the Marner deal first and then get the Austin Matthews because the Matthews number is going to be the Matthews number, two and a half, 13, whatever it's going to end up being. I don't think that works. And it's funny. I've heard that argument made before, and I've looked into it. In theory, that makes sense. In practice, that was never going to happen because I've heard that Edmonton was getting close to Dreisaitl around the draft. Like McDavid signed after July 1st, obviously. Edmonton was getting close to Dreisaitl at the draft, and it got pulled back. And I think what happened was the people who represent Dreisaitl, they kind of knew where McDavid was going to be because you kind of had an idea. And it gets around, and you know people compare and stuff like but that. But that idea was it was going to be the max, and then it came down. No, it was it was going to be thirteen two five, and it came down to twelve and a half. That's what ended up happening. And I just think that Drysaddle's representatives either they figured that out or they knew that, and they said there is a limit for how far apart we're going to be. And they got to where they were because I think Edmonton tried to do that. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a time the Oilers thought they were going to be able to do that. But I heard at the draft, just before McDavid signed, it stopped. And I think what happened was they just said, look, we're going for this number because we have a feeling it's going to be within, I mm-hmm. guess, $4 million of where McDavid's going to be. And we're not signing for a penny less. And Edmonton knew even if they – Sign McDavid first, they were going to be in that pickle with Dreisaitl. So if you're the Marner camp, if you're Darren Ferris, you're negotiating closer to the Matthews number than what William Nylander is going to get. But the thing is, I think you also negotiate what you think you deserve. You know, for example, you know, Marner, if he has another year like last year, he's a $10 million player. And he's going to play with John Tavares next season. And he's going to play with which <laughs> says to me that he's going to have a good year. To me, the most newsworthy thing about what he said was that we can and we will. And that's going to be the thing that's going to get the most play. I'm not surprised to hear him say that. One, because we know that he's not afraid to be politely bold. But I think also because he believes in skill. And there's a lot of skill there. And if Tyler Bozak as a player on the way out says that about William Nylander, that he deserves to be in that group... Mm -hmm then there's no doubt that Kyle Dubas and the Maple Leafs organization knows the same thing. All right, on that, we'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, some of your thoughts, some of your questions. Ask 31 when the podcast returns. Here's something really cool. We have a brand new podcast network. It's called the Frequency Podcast Network, and its first project is The Big Story, a daily news and everything else podcast featuring some of the biggest names in Canadian journalism. It touches on everything from politics to entertainment to sports and the latest front in the culture war. Host Jordan Heath-Rawlings and his team bring you The Big Story every weekday morning, available on Apple, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Story. Okay, Elliot, Monster Podcast this week. And thanks, everyone, by the way, who is uh, so supportive of the podcast all season long. This is our last one for a while. 
Uh, we're not exactly sure how long, but don't keep refreshing your feed expecting to see 31 Thoughts of Podcast pop up anytime soon. So thank you for the downloads. Thank you for the reviews. They all help. We thank you for that. And as we always do, Elliot, we'll finish off with a few hashtag Ask 31s. This one is an interesting one from Mark Scheig. Yeah, he's in Columbus, right? He's a Columbus guy. I'm not sure. You know yes. him? I think he does some writing on the Blue Jackets. And he does a po- I think I've been on his podcast there. Nice. Yeah. Well, he asked this. If Jeff Merrick was commissioner in junior and Elliot Friedman was NHL commissioner, what is the first thing you do in each of your new jobs? First, I'd ban junior hockey. <laughs> and just draft from Division One in Europe. <laughs> I'd ruin Jeff's life. That's what I would do if the first thing I would do. You know, the first thing I would do if I was NHL commissioner, no lockout, no strike coming up. I'd get a CBA done. Mm-hmm. I was going to say get your game out of June, but I'd rather get a CBA down first. I'm with you on that one. If I was uh, Dave Branch in the CHL, I would make it one big league. I would get rid of QMJHL, OHL, Western Hockey League. It would be CHL. It would be CHL West, Central, and East, and they would compete against each other where economically possible. And turn your Memorial Cup into something akin to the Sweet 16 tournament. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. One game each knockout? Yeah, man. It's not bad. And then you know what? I'll take it one step further. Get it down to final two teams. And since the rights holder for the NHL is the same rights holder in Canada as the CHL, you take your Memorial Cup final and you put it right up against the Stanley Cup final. Stanley Cup final game one is on a Monday. Memorial Cup final game one. On a Tuesday. Nice. And you put them right beside each other. What are you doing? Best of three? Best of five for the final? Best of seven, just like the NHL. Get it down to two teams. Okay. Now, I'm pulling money off of trees here to make all of this happen, but if we're going to blue sky this thing, that's what I would do with junior hockey. Okay. From Jeff Steink, wanted your thoughts on not allowing a penalized team to ice the puck. Some youth leagues are doing this to encourage more skillful play. Why do we let teams in the NHL break a rule when they're in the box for breaking a rule? This one's come up a number of different times. Not allowing icing. I know the PA has an issue with exhausted hockey players. Well, some leagues are trying this now, right? Yep. Youth hockey. So I want to see it. I want to see that. Like, to me, I understand the Players Association's point of view. I'm not discounting it. But what I want to do is I want to see it in action and then so I can make up my mind on it. Test run. All right. Uh, which is why, you know, we keep barking about, you know, summer R&D camps for the NHL. Here's your place They didn't to do like it. it. They didn't like it. But I'd rather see it, like, not in an R&D camp, in a league. I like That's that. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. have a summer have a summer league, which is essentially an R&D camp. Mm-hmm. And this is the rules we're playing under. This year, we're going to get rid of the blue lines. This year, you're not going to be able to ice the puck on a penalty. Yeah. See what it's like. Yeah. Put a couple of bucks in some guys' pockets along the way. Make it a summer TV sport as well. Boy, people will be tweeting R&D goals. Oh, yeah, I know, eh? Instead yeah, of rookie camp so goals. awful. <laughs> of, I understand of, why people have to do it, but, man, it's, it's tough. Instead of Casey Middlestad dancing through all the guys at rookie tournament because <laughs> the kid from the USHL is barking at him and trying to get him to fight every single time he's on the ice. Okay, uh, here's one from uh, Jeff at NHL Flames fan. Do you think the Tavares signing with the Maple Leafs opens up the floodgates for more big-name free agents moving to a new team, or was this a one-off? I think everybody's kind of wondering about that. Like, you know, Emil, back when I used to cover the NBA, <laughs> um, 
I still am in touch with some guys who used to cover the league with when I was there. They were looking at this whole Tavares thing like with just hilarity. Like in the NBA, this happens fifty times a year, and you know they're used to it. LeBron James gone from Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland now to the LA Lakers, and there's one in the NHL, and everybody's lost their minds. Yeah, but you always think like you know Ryan's. How many people have done this? Ryan Suter's done it. Uh, yeah, Zach Preezy's done it. Zidane Chara's done it. Yeah, so I mean, like it doesn't happen a lot. But there's no question Tavares is the biggest one. I think the thing that's happening now, Jeff, that people are kind of wondering about is it used to be the salaries were pretty close. Now the stars are taking a bigger piece of the pie. And I wonder if that means that this is going to happen more simply because if you're a star player, mm-hmm. you're going to demand that bigger piece. See what happens uh, with Tyler Sagan, as you mentioned yeah. earlier on. He's the next test case. Uh, from Mark Carvalho, Ask 31, could you guys ever get a former NHL GM to demonstrate what an arbitration hearing is like? Much like you guys demonstrated with what a player safety discipline hearing was like with Brian Burke. We should get Milbury in because he can Tommy talk Sallow? about Tommy Sallow where he <laughs> tore him in. Actually, Berkey did one too with Brendan Morrison when Brendan Morrison's agent, he told this story actually. We were when in the 2004 World Cup. We were flying like a six-seat plane from Toronto to Minnesota for games. And uh, it was – so Ron would be on it. I was on it. Scott Oak was on it. Kelly Rudy was on it. And Berkey was on it. And he told the story of the Brandon Morrison arbitration case where Brandon Morrison talked about being the center with Nazla and Bertuzzi and getting all the points, his points, so he should be worth more. And Berkey said, he looked at him and he said, well, you know the story of the mouse on the elephant, that the elephant does all the work and and the mouse yells out, we did it? That's you. You're the mouse. (laughs) That's the line he used? And and, and he used it in the arbitration (laughs) and he said it in the plane and Kelly was furious. Like, Kelly does not like that stuff. And I I, I remember like, ooh, Kelly's taking this really personally. So you know why it might be a good idea, and not just to, maybe we'll try with a GM and an agent. Yeah, like, you know what? Here, you know what? Burke and Jeff Jackson they work together in Toronto. Maybe yes. they would maybe they would be willing to try. I don't know, but like maybe what we do is we get an agent and a GM to do it and do it with a former client. And the thing is too is the NHL actually hires a company to do this, and the Players Association is a guy named Roland Lee who's really smart but doesn't do interviews. You see him every year in the Hockey News yes. Power 100. Doesn't do interviews, doesn't like talking to media, and he's the guy they all go to for the comparison. All right, you know what? That sort of um, touches on something that we should probably canvas for as well. If there's anything you want to hear on this podcast, we haven't talked about this, tweet us. Send it in. Next year, because this is the last one. It's the last one for a while, folks. Uh, So anything you want to hear next year on the podcast, uh, please send it along to either Elliot or myself, or even Emil, because he loves getting unsolicited tweets about what should happen on his show. (laughs) So is this it? Are we done? This is it. We're wrapping up. So I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, Emil, I bust Emil's chops all the time. Emil does an unbelievable job with this show, and we really appreciate all your hard work and your effort, all the editing done. And Emil, I don't like to say too many good things about him because it goes right to his his head. But all you ever ask when you work with someone is they take pride in the job they do. Emil takes pride in the job he does. That's true. Jeff, I want to say this about you. When we do this podcast a lot, not so much in the playoffs, I don't write it as much. 
But normally I write the 31 thoughts in the week and my brain is scrambled. I am fried. Yep. And I really appreciate, uh, how when I'm fried and I come in to do this, you take ownership of it and you, uh, you set the tone. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it again next year. We, uh, thank you, Elliot. And, um, it's interesting too, because if it were up to me in my life, I probably shouldn't say this, but if I could just do podcasts all the time, man, would I just be happy? <laughs> it is like the ultimate freedom. It's like your brain, the microphone, go. And, uh, doing this podcast has been a thrill so far. And we look for, uh, many more seasons of doing 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Um, and Elliot, your 31 Thoughts piece uh, is must read. And hopefully this podcast is much listened to, much like 31 Thoughts on sportsnet.ca is a must-read piece. Thank you to all the listeners. Without you, we don't have a reason to do this. So we appreciate all of you for listening. Yep. And uh, listen again next year. All the tweets, all the downloads, all of it, all the reviews. Thank you. It all helps, and we appreciate every single one of you. Thank you. And for everyone who stops by, and it's funny, just on the way in today, stopping off at the coffee shop to get a coffee, guy pulled me aside and said, hey, man, love the podcast. Nothing gives me more pleasure had it in Dallas, too, with this guy, Jeff, who works at the arena as well at, uh, in Dallas. And the first thing, hey, man, love the podcast. Nothing fills me with more delight than when I hear someone say, hey, man, I love the podcast. Speaking of podcasts, I want to do a quick plug. Dan Shulman's latest, Swinging a Belt, with the State of the Union with uh, baseball. Uh, Jason Stark, who Buster Only was on, and yeah. J- uh, John Paul Morosi was on as well. Fantastic. Yeah, really One good. hour of where the game is right now. Shulman's podcast is fantastic dan i want to let you know i was on time today he was really close though dan well you know he tells emil like when we start working together elliot's yeah. always late like thanks dan like why why not get me to start off on the right foot with this guy that was a great podcast though the one he if you haven't heard the one he did with anthopolis this year where anthopolis basically talked about the um 2015 trade deadline that's the one that you yeah. should listen to it's fantastic he told a whole bunch of stuff that i'd never heard before it was really good see this podcast is great for the, the showman podcast is great for me now because in the off season my kids are both playing ball and i was a baseball fan growing up as well this weekend baseball was a mainstay for me on saturday yeah. man that, i love uh, it oh uh, it's uh, that theme too now those highlights are every single night and now those highlights are always on your phone but uh, now that my kids are playing ball and TJ's playing reps, we're traveling a lot. So he's really getting into it. He's at camp right now. I'm getting back into baseball. I know it's not exactly the most exciting game right now. And it's just strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Will oh. anyone put the ball in play? But I'm loving getting back into baseball. So I'm back in digging baseball podcasts and hearing people talk about baseball. So uh, at the letters, Shulman's podcast, outstanding. Thank you for those contributions, gentlemen. And with that, we'll leave you. Thank you so much for listening to the Maiden Voyage 2017-18 31 Thoughts the Podcast Get off hockey Twitter, have a great summer